welcome to Hit for Six. Another week, uh, and indeed out of lockdown now, which is very exciting. Uh, Michael, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, you know, I'm all right. Uh, I'm looking forward to Christmas, we're on that home straight towards like a little bit of holiday. Um, and I've been enjoying the Limited Over series in South Africa so far. Um, and I'm absolutely buzzing for this guest, truth be told. Indeed. It's a, a, a great one to get hold of. Adam Mountford, the Test Match Special Producer. Tell us how we came about, re- realised our connection to him and got in contact with him. So, obviously, Hit for Six, it's Humble Origins, started on Raw. And I almost said Raw Radio, and I remember that really annoys anyone who ever did Raw, because obviously Raw stands for Radio at Warwick. But that was back at Warwick University, and we had our show, didn't we, Rob, for three years? Best sports show at Warwick, and also third best news show, 2017, I believe. Yeah. Proud, proud winners of that. But anyway, they were having their anniversary and there was a big celebration for it. It was like 40th anniversary and they were putting loads of stuff out on Twitter and former people who have done shows on Raw were posting stuff. So Stephen Merchant, for example. And I saw that Adam Mountford tweeted about his time. Uh, Adam Mountford, BBC, uh, TMS, T- Test Match Special Producer in the BBC. He tweeted about his show at Raw and I just thought, right, well, here we go, you know. Test Match Special is the absolute dream and it'd be amazing to chat to him. We've got a connection. So got in touch with him and very kindly agreed to come on. And I think you'll agree, Rob, he's a lovely, lovely man and really generous with his time. Certainly. Uh, and it was great to hear, well, as we'll hear very shortly, uh, it was great to hear about how he got into, into radio and into broadcasting and his time with TMS and indeed his thoughts on, on the game as a whole. He spoke towards the end about free-to-air television and the importance of the game getting as much exposure as possible. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think everyone here, especially anyone like us who's got aspirations to, you know, keep doing sports broadcasting in some form or another, it's definitely worth a listen. So I think everyone's going to really enjoy it. Well, good morning, Adam. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Michael and Rob. It's, uh, no, it's a pleasure to be on, on the programme. Looking forward to, to having a chat this morning. And how's, how's 2020 been for you? How, how's lockdown, this current lockdown and, and the year as a whole been? I mean, it's been a weird one for all of us. Um, but for yourself, what, what's it been like? Yeah, it's been very, very strange. I mean, totally surreal. I mean, clearly there's, there's bigger issues in the world than than cricket coverage on the radio. But I can certainly say it's been one of the most unusual, strange and challenging uh, 12 months in terms of what we've been doing. And, and you know, you, you completely uh, take take up, um, you think about what happened 12 months ago and what we were doing 12 months ago. I was chatting to Jonathan Agnew, the correspondent the other day. And um, we were remembering that this time last year we were in New Zealand, having just got through that amazing year with England winning the World Cup and the the Ben Stokes test match at Hedden and all that. And, you know, everything seemed wonderful and fantastic. And 12 months later, you know, we're in, we're in another lockdown. We've had this, you know, bizarre uh, summer. So yeah, it, it has been strange, but in, in some ways I would feel I was reflecting to him only yesterday that in some ways we're as proud of what we've achieved uh, this year as we were last year, because we managed to broadcast an awful lot of cricket, um, which I think meant a lot to a lot of people, really. I think a lot of people, a lot of our listeners were literally in lockdown the whole of the, of the summer. And we, you know, we brought a little taste of normality by having Test Match Special on the radio and as much cricket as possible. At the start of lockdown, we came up with this idea of playing out 
uh, older test matches, older international games to, again, provide that little taste of, of what normality was, was like. And I think we realised that the listeners really liked that. And then obviously we, we were able to bring a lot of actually really good cricket over the course of the summer. So, yeah, look, it's been a strange year. But in lots of ways, I think we all feel pretty proud of what we've done because we've done something. And, and you know, it's a real service. I'm, you know, never a day goes by when I don't think how privileged I am to do the job I do to look after cricket on, on BBC Radio. And this year, probably more than any other, actually, because of what it really meant to people. Yeah, I mean, I can say for myself, I'm a bit of a TMS super fan. Having a, a dad who hates Rupert Murdoch and therefore refused to ever buy Sky Sports, uh, I was left with, since 2005, TMS radio coverage has been my primary way of following English cricket for, what well, yeah, the last 15 years. And so, um, particularly doing lockdown proper first time round, the replaying of yeah classic test matches, particularly 2005 Ashes commentaries and hearing sort of Blofeld in full swing and Christopher Martin Jenkins was, yeah, it really did keep me going, particularly when the weather was so lovely, but we couldn't play cricket. There wasn't any cricket happening. It kind of just felt you still had a, a hand on the sport you love at the time of year that it, it's supposed to be supposed to be going on. But quickly on the summer of cricket, what was the bubble like? So obviously you were all packed into the Rose Bowl and then Old Trafford week on week for match after match. Couldn't go out to see other people. What what was that bubble like? It must have been strange. Yeah, it, it was weird. I mean, in some ways, you know, you, you sort of step back a bit and think, you know, if, if, I, if I spoke to my sort of young self, um, and said, you're going to be spending the summer basically living at cricket grounds. You think, oh, this is wonderful. And there was certainly a situation when we are at the Aegeus Bowl in Southampton, where the rooms we were staying in were literally in the same corridor as the commentary box. So it took me three steps to go from my bedroom to the commentary box, which is really strange. And literally, you know, you'd, you'd have a meal of an evening, walk past the commentary box, you can nip and you know, look outside onto the ground. So, in, you know, in lots of ways, you know, there was some, you know, it was quite exciting in, in some ways. The fact you were, you know, you were there, you know, as a cricket fan, you were living and breathing cricket 24 hours a day. And in some ways, you know, that, that was brilliant. But clearly, you know, it was challenging because there was no escape. You know, it, it's, it's a wonderful job, but it is a job. And there was no way of getting away from it because, you know, literally you were, you know, you were staying at the cricket ground. So it's, it's what you could see. Um, and we were very limited in the bubble. So, for example, at, um, at Old Trafford, the only place you could get exercise was literally doing laps around the ground. So you were, you know, spending days and days, you know, going around the same, the same loop of the concourse. Um, and it wasn't, you know, Old Trafford's a fantastic cricket ground, but it's, you know, there's not an awful lot of greenery in the area around. And you were sort of literally just going round and round and round. I think for a lot of people, it felt like, you know, there's an old goldfish bowl and they felt quite frustrated at that. I mean, I think, you know, um, a lot of us just felt we were getting on with it because we, it was a service for people. And, you know, everyone was making sacrifices, the players more than we were, because we were allowed to go home in between actual test matches. So, you know, only for a, a brief time, but we were allowed to do that. Of course, the players pretty much were, were there the whole time. But look, there were, you know, there were some moments I'll never forget. In some ways, because we're all forced to stay together, ourselves and our colleagues at Sky, we all you know, we had to make the most of it. So there were some, some very funny moments that happened during the course of the summer. You know, we decided after a little while of eating the same food that we needed something different. We were able to get takeaways brought in to the Aegeus Bowl. But the person who did that was Salister Cook, who decided to have a curry night. One of my favourite memories of, of the summer was, you know, him 
um, looking um, very excited with, with bags of curry that he managed to organise for, for the TMS team to have a socially distanced curry night one night. But I think if I had one memory, and I, it is pretty self-indulgent, Robin Michael, but I'm going to tell you, is that we, we also um, got engaged in, in concourse crickets. And at some point, with all the bad lights and bad weather at the Aegeus Bowl, there was actually more cricket played on the concourse than there was in the middle at one point. And there was one very funny evening. So we were playing concourse cricket with, you know, Andy Zoltz, our scorer, and Henry Moran, who I worked with, and, and various others. Um, and Phil Tufnell was there. And I always had this desire to face the cat Phil Tufnell's bowling. Um, so I said, come on, you bowl me a couple of balls, wouldn't you? So, so I, I was batting, and he, he bowled me a ball. And by some miracle, I managed to connect with it and hit it for, well, I, I'll say a six, let's be honest. And he, he looked sort of just, you know, a bit annoyed. And the, where the concourse where we were playing cricket from was just around the corner from a sort of outdoor bar area. And he went off saying, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. And comes back a couple of minutes later with Wazim Akram. So suddenly I've got one of the greatest left-arm swing bowlers in the history of the game bowling at me. And again, by some absolute miracle, he bowls a delivery, which I managed to, to connect with and hit for four. Um, and I, and I, you know, rather, um, you know, I decided, I decided to sort of signal a boundary like sort of Tony Gregg did famously, um, and you know, and, and it was fantastic fun. And I thought, well, this is something I'll never forget. And Phil Tufnell goes off again, and a couple of minutes later arrives with Shane Warne, the greatest bowler of all time, and he comes into bowl, bowls me a horrible full toss, which I managed to connect and hit for six. So I've hit Phil Tufnell, Wazim Akram, and Shane Warne for runs in concourse cricket. Something I will never forget. I mean, just hilarious. And they were wonderful sports to do it and to be involved in it. But it was just a really good symbol, actually, of the camaraderie of the summer and why it's one I'll never forget. That's quite some CV of people you've dispatched in, in concourse cricket. Well, you know, I don't like to go on about it, but, you know. That leads me quite nicely to my next question, Adam, because I wanted to ask about, actually, how you first got into cricket when you first started to love the game and also whether you played much yourself when you were younger or even now. Yeah, I mean, I, I fell in love with cricket, I think, like a lot of people of my generation, in, in 1981, the series against Australia, of course, the famous Ashes, Botham's Ashes, although slightly bizarrely, I was supporting Australia in 1981 because my brother was supporting England, so I obviously had to be different, so I supported Australia, and things were looking pretty good after the first couple of games when, you know, Australia were, were ahead, and I start, I, I, Kim Hughes was my early cricket hero, bizarrely. I, I saw these golden locks and beautiful stroke play, that's in Australia, and things were looking pretty good. And then, of course, it all it all changed, and, you know, England fought back magnificently with that heading test match and Edgbaston and everything else. So that was what hooked me. And, of course, you know, I was totally obsessed from, from 1981 as a sort of exciting nine-year-old, and that was the sport I wanted to, to get involved with. Yeah, and I, I did start to play. I played for, you know, a bit of school cricket. I played a bit of club cricket in the West Midlands and the Birmingham League, um, you know, not to any huge standard, but, you know, okay. Um, you know, and, that, and that's what that's what got me. And then and then I sort of realised that you know, my two favourite things really were cricket and radio. And, you know, the fact that I managed to get a job in the both things was fantastic because it was always listening to the radio growing up that I loved doing. And it was and it was playing and, and watching cricket. And the, the combination of the two was 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 so briefly brought together in, in what I'm able to do today. When did you think that broadcasting might be a career path? Was it from quite a young age or was it when you got involved in student radio at Warwick which is, means now is probably a good time for me to add that um, that's something we all share in common we've all had a, a radio show at 
what was it called for you then? For us, it was Raw. Did it have a different name when you were at university? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was W nine six three when I was at uh, Warwick University. So it's fantastic talking to you guys because you know, as you say, we have that that bond and, and that connection. And you, for me, I don't know what it was for you guys, but for me, it was it was totally at Student Radio. That's the moment I really thought this could be a, a, a job for me. And I, I'm fully, I just didn't remember the moment when it happened because, um, as you might remember, the newspaper. Uh, at Warwick University, it's called the Warwick Boar, yeah. and uh, I remember yeah. the, the edition came into our into our campus at Jack Martin where I was staying, um, and I remember coming through the uh, the door and, and there was an advert in it, and it said we're starting a sports show on W963. We're looking for people to come and get involved in it, and I remember thinking, literally, I remember thinking that day, you know, I imagine the thought of doing radio and sport. You know, if you know, if I really enjoy doing that, I, I can really see me doing that as a job because it you know, combines the two things I love the most and I remember turning up what was happening was that the station uh, W960 was relaunching a sports show it hadn't had one for a while um, and they were relaunching and they were looking for people to, to help out and I turned up for an audition you know and you uh, which I'm sure you two did and you you know you do an audition you chat about it um, and, and actually very fortunately I became the, the sports editor so I was responsible for putting together this sports show every Saturday afternoon um, and it was just fantastic fun, and I and I I just knew it was what I wanted to do. I just loved the the atmosphere of being at University Radio. It was it was you know camaraderie, a great way of meeting meeting people, getting confidence in broadcasting, you know, making mistakes, learning. It was just it was just wonderful. And, and you know, whenever I hear about people getting involved in student radio, I, I'm quite jealous in some ways. And I know that there's been a big anniversary at uh, Warwick University's uh, radio station now known as Raw and. W963 this year and it's been brilliant seeing some of the photographs from the station brings back so many wonderful memories it wasn't quite um when we when we got involved Adam it wasn't quite so discerning we didn't have to audition I think me and Rob just said to each other we'd like to do a cricket show and um and then we managed to do one and we got to do it for three years and we loved it because well, they, they, they wanted to pack their schedule full of as many different radio shows as possible have it like on and running from dawn till dusk and so I think we picked up a graveyard slot in our first year, didn't we, on sort of a Thursday early morning. We worked our way up. Yeah, and that's that's how it all started. But I, I certainly, it's fun to think that you once hosted and presented that uh, that Saturday afternoon show, Adam, because certainly in my first two years at university, I was on, you know, kind of watching the Premier League on my phone and sort of commenting on it like I was on a, a sports report or... Um, or kind of just soccer Saturday, but but for radio, I was yeah, I, I really really enjoyed it. And well, this is now our avenue, isn't it, Michael? We realised in lockdown, why don't, why, don't, why don't we start a podcast? Because it's not quite student radio. You don't quite get the fancy studio, but you at least get the the opportunity to to chat about what you love, cricket, and in our case, and, and broadcast it to whoever wants to whoever wants to listen. And I think we'd missed it, hadn't we? Because um, one of the things we loved most about having our cricket radio show was, well, if you, I don't know if you've experienced this, Adam, but if you try and talk to everyone about cricket all the time, some people might not be so interested. But if you're just talking about it on your own radio show, your own podcast, well, then that's great. You can just talk about cricket all day long. Um, oh, absolutely. Look, I, I'm, I'm fully aware that just because I love cricket, I know that a lot of people around me don't. And uh, no, you're absolutely right. You know, there's, and I've got two, two young girls who are actually quite into cricket. But even so, every so often they do say to me, Dad, I'm really not interested. You know, <laughs> when I'm when I'm discussing the latest changes in the big bash rules or whatever it might be. You know, so so yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think it's brilliant. I mean, isn't it though fantastic in you know in podcasting that you can do it? You know, that's what I love about 
I swear I love radio in lots of ways. And in some ways, I suppose one of the positives of lockdown is, is I think we have seen more podcasts and vodcasts and all this sort of stuff with people, you know, making the opportunity of being stuck at home to actually do something creative. And, you know, it's been, it's been great, actually. I mean, there's um, a colleague of mine, Mark Church, who works at BBC London. He did a, a podcast called Commentary at Home and, you know, and then started playing these bizarre garden cricket matches, which he put on whole, whole test matches involving parts of garden furniture. Um, which you, if you mentioned that a year ago, you, what are you talking about? But in lockdown, it was fantastic. You know, it was just something, total escapism. But it's brilliant, isn't it, that, you know, we can do these things. And the thing about radio I love was that, you know, and TV is fantastic, and BBC have started doing some TV, but, of course, inevitably, it's so much more complicated, you know, putting together a TV show. But what I loved about radio is you can have an idea, get it straight on the air. And these days, you know, with, with Zooms and other ways of recording stuff, you can just do it straight away, and it's brilliant, isn't it? It is. No, it I, is. I, I think so. I think I was reading this the other day of, uh, it might have been a little while ago, where Agus was locked out of the, the radio studio kind of went where the, the commentary box at maybe I think it was in Gaul in Sri Lanka and he ended up sort of reporting on the game from his phone and that's something you certainly couldn't do on on TV in the in the same way um it's a, it's a wonderful medium and it's, it's great because you can do other things while you're listening to it so I always have the radio on when I'm washing up or of course when I'm in the car driving it's also a lot easier to sneakily listen to radio than sneakily watch TV e.g if you're a young Rob Starman under the covers you know, listening to Australia, listening to the Ashes in Australia at 2am and hoping your mum doesn't catch you, you know, it's, it's or you can go to bed with a TMS under your pillow. Like, it's it's a very flexible medium, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's one of my favourite things, actually, about, about TMS is knowing the way that people listen to us. Um, and one of my favourite memories, actually, of that incredible year last year was actually hearing stories of how people followed the World Cup final and, and, and headingly. And the stories of you know, people obviously driving around, but there were some bizarre things. People climbing up mountains, you know, um, the stories of, you know, someone climbing a mountain and, and one mountaineer passing the other mountaineer listening on the radio and what's going on is Stoke still in? Yes, he is. And, you know, I mean, one of my bizarre, one of bizarre memories is, is hearing one chap who said he was sort of walking around with his family and decided he was just getting too tense. Had to go somewhere quiet to listen to the denouement at Headingley. And the only place he could find away from where they were was a graveyard. So got to the graveyard and he's sitting there amongst these gravestones, feeling a bit embarrassed about it, listening to his listening to the, the radio on his phone and finds five other people doing exactly the same thing. You know, <laughs> and that's how they're following it. But, you know, it, and I'm always conscious when we're broadcasting abroad of, of people, as you say, you know, listening under the duvets, the phone these days, under the pillow and that sort of stuff. And I, I, I think, I think, you know, we, that's why I'm always nagging the commentators to, to give the score and tell you what's going on, because I know people are drifting in and out of... Um, you know, consciousness often through the night listening to, to the cricket. But yeah, we're, we're, we're in a really privileged position because we have that, that connection, that direct connection with the audience. And, and that's why that's one thing I love about radio is it talks to people directly. And with cricket, we all care so much about it. You're absolutely doing that. So um, I asked my next question with a slightly self-interested uh, for me and Rob, Adam, but um, how, what was your career path from student radio to being the producer of TMS? Like, how did you make that happen? Well, it, it was a literal lucky break um, for me because whilst I was working at, uh, at W963, I also started doing some work at the local BBC radio station with BBC CWR uh, based in Coventry and worked on a, a youth programme which was called PDQ at the time. And, um, and one week they came to see the, 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 the youngsters working on, on that and they said, look, does anyone here like sport? And I said, well, yeah, it's, you know, it's my absolute thing. You know, I put my hand up, so, you know, absolutely. And they said, well, look, 
there's a guy we've got who does our early morning sport who's going off on holiday next week um, on a skiing holiday. Um, you know, would you mind stepping in for him for the week? And I thought, God, yeah, this is fantastic. Then realised it was my last week at university. I don't know what your last week was like, uh, Michael and Rob, but, you know, all my mates were, you know, out through the night, you know, making the most of their sort of last week at university. And I was having to get up at four o'clock in the morning to read the sports bulletins on BBC local radio. Anyway, at the end of that week, um, the station manager came and said, look, um, you know the guy you're replacing this week? Um, he's broken his leg on this skiing holiday and he can't come into the studio. Could you, could you keep doing it? And I said, well, yeah, of course, you know. So, you know, when I was supposed to be going back home, I was having to find somewhere else to stay. It was actually costing me more money to stay in Coventry than I was being paid to work at the station. But I thought I've got to keep doing it. Anyway, at the end of another couple of weeks, they said, look, to be honest with you, we've kind of decided you're a bit, bit better than this guy. So can you stay on and do this as a job? So it was an absolute literal lucky break to get into radio. And then, so that was, I worked in uh, BBC local radio in Coventry and in Birmingham. Um, I was so fortunate that my time working in sport coincided 1993, 1994 with Warwickshire having this incredible run of form. You all remember it, winning all these trophies, a, tr a triple in 1994, and they should have won four if they won the toss at Lords against Worcestershire. Um, and I was there able to commentate on cricket, it, you know, my first commentary was at the Oval, a semi-final. Um, Brian Lara was breaking all those records, you know, 501, scoring hundreds, everything else. So not only was it a big story in locally, it was a big story nationally. And suddenly, you know, from literally walking out of university, I was commentating at Lords on Lords finals, commentating on Brian Lara and doing that sort of thing. It was fantastic. You know, I was so fortunate to do it. Um, and funny, if I remember one, one, one of the Lords finals I was fortunate to work on, I was there working for BBC Commentary in Warwickshire and I remember meeting Peter Baxter, the TMS producer at the time, and we were standing on the, the turret where we used to broadcast from at Lord's in the pavilion. And there he was and I thought, you know, what a job. You know, he gets to go around the world, you know, with the England team, you know, doing radio cricket, what a job, that is fantastic. You know, never, never dreaming that I'd be able to do it. And then, you know, to, to cut a long story short, back in 1998, I, having worked several years and, you know, presented and produced all sorts of programmes in local radio, I got the opportunity to work in a sports room in London, applied for a job and was fortunate to get it in London in 1998. Worked my way through. I was the golf producer for a while and had the great fortune to uh, produce the Masters Golf in Augusta and uh, produce the Ryder Cup and that sort of thing. And then when T20 cricket began in 2002, they wanted someone to work alongside Peter Baxter because there was so much more cricket. Um, and I again applied for the job. And I was, again, the timing was very fortunate because I'd just done successful Ryder Cup and I showed I could do a big production um, and, and got the chance to work alongside Peter and then he announced he was going to retire five years later and 2007 there I was doing that job of the job I sort of dreamed of when I first met Peter on the turret at the Lord's Pavilion those years before. Well, that's incredible I mean I know you said there was the lucky break at the beginning but it sounds like there was a lot of hard graft you know the 4am wake-ups everyone else is out at, in the final days of university but you know definitely worth it say to people is that hey, hey, you know you can absolutely do these things you know ne never stop thinking you can't do stuff but you're right of course there are sacrifices you know there were you, you certainly didn't make a lot of money in the early days I can tell you and you know and, and but it was just something you really wanted to do and you realized that you know, you know making sandwiches for the presenters and dashing out and getting tea and everything else what you're doing of course is you know you're showing people you're committed and you're showing people you really want to do it and it's amazing when opportunities come if you've shown you can be trusted 
and they've got the enthusiasm and passion, you know, it, it's incredible how many people will say, well, let's go for them because they've shown they, they're willing to do it. Yeah. Out of, out of interest, what happened to the poor guy who broke his leg and then, and then never returned to local radio? Oh, he became a policeman, apparently, which always makes me a bit nervous when I go around the Coventry area because I'm not sure how impressed he'll be at me for, for sort of nicking his job. But that, that's apparently what he did, yeah. Oh, well, there we go. That's a, that's a fine and very worthy career change. So um, good on it. I suppose if there was any trouble, Adam, you could always just go, oh, would you like a free tour of the uh, TMS box? Yeah, thanks, Mike. That's a good idea. Um, in terms, just going back to Peter Baxter briefly. Uh, now, even me, age like ten or eleven, my my dad almost sat me down to tell me what a what a big deal it was when he was um, stepping down and how long he'd produced Test Match Special Four. And you hear all these stories from Aggers and Blofeld, and you read these books by Jonas and people like that, and they all make Peter Baxter obviously crops up time and time again. Um, and I was reading that I think he was you were one year old when he took over as the TMS producer. So how did you feel filling what were very big boots by anyone's standards? Yeah, look, it was it was clearly intimidating, um, you know, nerve-wracking. You know, he'd done the job for 34 years. You're right, 1973, he started when I was one year old. One year old. He, he was the TMS producer. That's, that's, you know, basically there's only been three permanent TMS producers. So, you know, that... <laughs> You know, it is, it is, you're right, it, it is a, you know, a huge shoes to fill. I mean, the only good thing I suppose I, I knew was when I, when I took over, it wasn't like a sort of premiership football manager taking over a team struggling. You know, I was taking over TMS when it was just celebrating its 50 year anniversary. It was in wonderful, wonderful um, battle. You know, it was, it was loved by, by listeners and, you know, it was something people loved. An incredible cast of people working. So I walked in the box and you're there with, you know, Henry Blofeld, Kristen Martin Jenkins, Jonathan Agnew, Jeffrey uh, Boycott, you know, all these, you know, incredible characters, um, Jim Maxwell, um, Tony Cozier, you know, they, these, as I say to people, you know, they're not just cricket legends, they're broadcasting legends. And, and there I am putting up a rotor with their names on it. And of course, it's intimidating, but, but it equally, you know that you've got incredible quality to work with. And although, you know, clearly you want to do some things to the programme, and I was, I had ambitions to, you know, not, not to make massive changes, but, you know, just to evolve the programme a little bit. But you know, what you're fundamentally, you know, is you've got incredible talent already there in place. So, so you know, your job is just finesse that. And I suppose what I've always said about why I think my position is, my, my, my job really is to create an environment for these incredible broadcasters to perform. You know, my, my main job is to create that, that mood in the box that they can just do the best they can do. You know, they, they are amazing at what they do. And these days, you know, I have brought through you know, some more broadcasters and clearly I can have a bigger role in, in developing them. But certainly when I started, your, your only job really was to make sure that, you know, everyone could do what they could do, the best they could do. But look, it, you know, it clearly was, you know, intimidating because of the history of the programme. And you know that every decision you make is news. You know, if I change the rotor, if I remove a commentator, it, you know, it's front page news. And that is certainly nerve wracking thing to do. But also it shows that people really care about what you do. And you know, I think any job you can do where you realise that people really care about is is extra worthwhile. There was a little bit of criticism that you got early on, and when Mike Selvey got sort of stood down from Test Match Special, and a few other people bought in. How did you find that? How did you feel um, when you know, because fairly new into the job, and a little bit of criticism coming your way? Yeah, look, it was difficult. It wasn't the easiest um, start in some ways because you're right. I, th I think any anyone who takes over anything after someone's done something else for 34 years, 
you 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 do anything that's, that's a change and inevitably there's a lot a lot of scrutiny and you know it was a very difficult decision mike silver was great on on tms there was no it wasn't that he wasn't good on tms all, all that we felt um was that we wanted to bring in you know a couple of people with a bit more uh, recent experience you now what i've always felt tms works at his best is that mix and variety of voices from different backgrounds and different experiences and i just thought with with mike and vic marks as the central sort of summarizes, we were a bit similar in terms of terms of reference, um, and I just felt we wanted to have a you know a couple more voices from a slightly more recent time. So Phil Tufnell came in, and I think he was brilliant. You know, he was a different personality as well. I like the fact he had a slightly different tone to what he brought to TMS. That sort of you know uh, cheeky schoolboy kind of thing. You know, a bit, a bit different. You know, he sort of pricked the pomposity sometimes that you get in cricket. I felt, and and he still does that to this day. Um, and, and I think he played that role. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think I think what you realised then, I mentioned there about the, the you know, the importance of the playing, what it means to people, you know, when we made a, a one change with Mike um, Selvey not doing any more, you know, it was it was written about in, as you say, national newspapers. It was uh, massive debates online. You know, I was called all sorts of things. Um, and I suppose, you know, it's difficult times, but equally, you know that, you know, what you do matters to people. And, and you know, and, and, and that's a good thing to, to be in the position with. Um, but yeah, I think I think I was certainly, you know, didn't take long to have a, to realise, you know, what it did mean to people, and that anything you do to TMS, you've got to think very, very, very carefully about it. And I suppose that makes you appreciate it even more as you do it. Um, could you tell us a little bit more, Adam, about like the other kind of changes that you've sort of seen come in, helped implement over the last 10, 15 years as TMS has grown, and since two thousand and seven, really? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, you know. What, it's that mix of voices I think was the most important thing and, and voices to reflect you know the people listening to it simple as that really and certainly when it came to uh, female voices something I certainly felt that I really wanted to do actually TMS has always had a very very loyal female audience it's very rare actually in sports programs in that it has you know as many female listeners as, as, as male listeners a lot of a lot of um, uh, sports programs have got predominantly male listenership even, even today and I thought, you know, and with TMS, it always had a very, very um, strong female audience. But I, I just felt that it was really important to, to have a, some female voices on the programme. Uh, but it was very important that they were there totally on merit. And certainly when bringing in the likes of Alison Mitchell, um, Ebony Rainford-Brent, Isha Guhar, I think they're now right up there with the best broadcasters in the, you know, in the world in terms of cricket. And I was delighted to be able to, to have a role in, in bringing them through. And in terms of backgrounds of, of, of summarisers, you know, you know, we tried to bring in a few new voices over the years. So Michael Vaughan came in, obviously. Uh, I mentioned uh, uh, Phil Tufnell. You know, you, uh, Alistair Cook in recent times has come in, done stuff, Mark Rampakash. Uh, this summer, Carlos Brathwaite was a real star, the West Indian. So, you know, you, you sort of play that role. And I think, I think, you know, you want a programme to reflect, you know, say the listenership those people are doing, uh, the audience at the time. It's obviously, we're able to use... Uh, social media a lot more these days because people can immediately have a have a, a connection with the program. I love that the fact you need to be talking about you know you know a, a bowler from Somerset in the seventies and two seconds later someone's come up with who it is and the story about it and I think that really adds to the richness of the program. So that's certainly a development that's happened. And also I guess these days there's so much more cricket. I mean that's the other thing about it is that you know some point people say well, why do you bring in all these voices? Well we've got so much more cricket really that goes on with the you know T20 leagues now we're starting to do with. IPLs and BBLs and that sort of stuff, not to mention the whole of T20. So, you know, the cricket's changed as well. And, and you try and, you know, not, not make massive changes, but you reflect the sort of slightly different um, tone and formats of the game. 
there is an incredible amount of cricket, isn't there? I mean, me and Rob were speaking a few days ago because neither of us have followed the IPL particularly closely, as, as closely as we say followed the cricket over the summer. Um, and we were just saying it's been quite nice, actually. No, Despite how much we love cricket, just there's been a few weeks where we haven't done the podcast and we've just not quite been covering as much. But um, And I would say uh, Carlos Brathwaite's shipping forecast reading out was one of my highlights of the summer. <laughs> what's um, What's been, I mean, you've mentioned some moments already, Adam, but What's been your favourite moment, if you had to nail one, as TMS producer over the last 13 years, other than, of course, you know, hitting Warney and Tufnell around the park last last summer? Well, you'd have to go on about that again, obviously, but thanks, thanks. Um, no, um, I <laughs> I suppose I was very fortunate in that. Well, I, I, I pick... There are four times I've cried in the TMS box, which I, I don't mind admitting to. Um, first time, actually, was England's women winning the World Cup in 2017. And that's because it was just a really special day. It was a very different day. The crowd felt different. The occasion felt different. It felt really significant. It felt like it really, really mattered. Not that it doesn't normally, but it really felt like it did. And that was a, a day I'll never forget because it did feel different. And also, you know, there was it was the one moment when I knew my I managed to get tickets for my two girls to watch the game. And I think the feeling that they were there in the crowd when it was happening and I was in the commentary box was really special. I'll never forget that. Um, 2005, you never forget, incredible Ashes series, you know, and there will never be a test series like it. And certainly, you know, there were a, a couple of tears shed in the in the commentary box um, uh, at the Oval when England finally won the Ashes back. Although I wasn't actually doing TMS in those days. I was producing sort of five live coverage, but it still, you know, really mattered. But I guess if I had to really pick it, it's, it's last summer and, you know, two incredible days. Um, the World Cup final at Lords, you know, who who could never, you'd never forget it. Incredible end, the Super Over, the only thing about that day was I'm not sure I enjoyed it because it just felt so tense all day long. The match was so tight all day long. It was so tense, um, so exciting, but so tense. So I'm not sure I enjoyed it. So I'd say if I had to pick one, I think I would go for Headingley because having got through the World Cup final, in some ways it was a kind of, gosh, can this summer get any better? It's going to get better with this incredible match. And, you know, a run chase no one could see coming, you know, the Jack Lynch, the clean the glasses, the incredible heroics of Ben Stokes. Um, you know, a lot of people taking the mickey out of me for my strange face when when the the run out happened that was uh, the filmed in the background and all sorts of stuff. You know, as a day, it was just amazing. And it was sort of capping off the summer, an incredible summer. And knowing, I think, you know, looking the next morning and seeing cricket on the front and back pages of every paper and thinking, you know, I've been in the heart of that. That was pretty magical. That Headingley day just did have so many iconic moments, didn't it? And I agree with you about the World Cup final because I remember feeling nothing but relief at the end, not even joy, just relief. And then not being able to sleep until about three or four in the morning because I was still just clenched because it was such a tense day. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you we talk about, oh, that was one of the best days. Oh, I'll never forget that day. What a great day. Well, actually, in reality, I felt physically sick from 9am until about, 637 or whenever whenever it finished and the kind of that in the moment it was it was awful i hated it but obviously because the result ended up okay it was it was a wonderful day and a lot a lot of my favorite things actually come on no not not incredibly significant series but things where you've really achieved something so you know for me as team s producer when you when i work abroad you also do all of the technicals of the program so you don't just rock up you know i have to get the program physically on the air with all the you know the technical stuff so, you know, one of my first broadcasts on TMS was, I was most proud of, was we're arriving in Sri Lanka, in Dambulla, which is a ground, basically in the, the heart of the jungle, um, you know, with a sort of bit of kit. 
and, and couldn't make anything work. And eventually managed to, to find a, a small satellite. And the only way I could get a signal was by physically holding it through the whole of the match. And I was, because the ground was in the middle of the jungle and, and it was a floodlit game, it was really hot. I was wearing shorts. And because I had to hold the satellite with my, my hands during the whole broadcast, of course, as you can imagine, the jungle, the light, it's, it brought back you know, literally millions of, of bugs. It's like, a, you know, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And there were, my legs were being sort of bitten by thousands and thousands of bugs that was holding the satellite broadcast. But at the end of that game, I felt bizarrely quite proud that by you know, some miracle, I managed to get the programme on the air. So a lot of my great memories, of course, are Lords finals and that sort of stuff. But, but actually physically getting a programme on the air in the, you know, the heart of the Dumbuller jungle brings me as much pride. No, absolutely. And um, on that, so what, I mean, obviously you get to travel, well, did until now and hopefully will soon again. Yeah. You get to travel all over the world of TMS. What's your favourite country to tour in? Well, funny, I would probably say Sri Lanka in some ways. Um, I don't know why. I, it was one of my first tours um, was to Sri Lanka. I, I, I like the fact, you know, it's 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 really interesting place to, to go. It's 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 very different, obviously, to, to, to here. It's got a nice climate. The grounds are interesting. Gaul's one of my favourite grounds. Amazing for the fort. But obviously, you've got the contrast, say, with Dumbo and the jungle, the excitement of Colombo. Um, you know, I, I, I just think it's, it's a really, really interesting tour. And in some ways, the other thing about, um, and of course, going to Australia is brilliant, but the athletes always feel so stressful and also, you know, unbelievably difficult in terms of the amount of work you put into an active tour. Because of the time difference, partly, you never really stop because obviously, you know, you work through the night in UK time, but a lot of your busiest time is, is the morning and the evening. So it's, it's pretty relentless, fantastic fun, but pretty relentless. Um, whereas in Sri Lanka, you know, it's a bit, the time difference is slightly more uh, forgiving. So it's a really, really fun place to go. Um, so, see, so yeah, I, th- I think I'll probably just, just about go for there. But look, I'm very fortunate. I've been, you know, I've not been to Zimbabwe, which I'd, I'd love very much like to go to, but otherwise I've been to Pakistan. I've obviously done all the other, all the other nations and New Zealand, everyone loves for the, you know, wonderful um, scenery and everything else. It's a fantastic place. Uh, but I just just think for me, Sri Lanka just about just about do that. Brilliant. And um, just on the ashes, well, I think me and Rob are both planning to go next year, take hit for six to Australia. So if it gets too much, you need some work experience, boys. We'd be very willing, I'm sure. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I may well take you up on that. <laughs> um, just a final question, Adam, and a slightly more serious one, perhaps just about kind of the future of cricket and particularly in this country and how it's broadcast. We haven't had much cricket on free-to-air TV since well since the 2005 ashes and so for me i've got a, as i said cricket mad family and so tms was how i kind of stayed engaged with it but do you worry that cricket is losing fans because of a lack of coverage on on tv as wonderful as the radio coverage you're able to provide is yeah look i think it is a challenge for the game there's no doubt about it and, and, and look i i would say you know, look, Sky's done fantastic for, for cricket in terms of the investment it's able to make in the game. And without it, you know, we wouldn't see a lot of the qualities of, of the England teams. And I'm talking about, you know, the women's teams, the disability teams, everything else. A very important part of, of what happens in English cricket. But a lot of that wouldn't be as good as it is without the investment in, in, in satellite broadcasting. But of course, you know, for me, 1981, getting into cricket, it was, you know, I lived my life in test matches. You know, I... You know, 11 o'clock, I was there watching the telly. I'd, I'd only have lunch when, when the players had lunch. I'd have tea and maybe play out in the garden with TMS on in the background because I've been watching my heroes. And I know that for a lot of people, they, you know, they haven't seen it. I, I sent a, a tweet when Alistair Cook made his 100 for Essex that happened to be streamed on the BBC iPlayer in the Bob Willis Trophy final. 
that it's the first time he'd scored a run on terrestrial TV. And but that's true, you know, he didn't score a run because his entire career uh, coincided with it being off terrestrial TV. And that's a, a real shame because, you know, you know, a lot of the people, you know, I, I had the fortune to watch in cricket, they, those heroes and amazing athletes, men and women, you know, that they are, you know, then they're, they're not particularly well known because they could they could walk down the street without being recognized because they haven't been on terrestrial TV. But look, what is good is that, you know, the signs are good. And I think the deal that the ECB have done, we've got BBC TV highlights now. We have the live T20s last year, which, you know, had got really good audiences, hundreds, you know, not everyone likes the idea, but it will provide 10 games um, on terrestrial TV. And I think that'll be, that'll be important. Um, and I think it's, I think it's really important that the balance is struck, I think, by rights holders, that they're always thinking not just about the money, but about the accessibility of the game. And you see that around the world now. And, you know, in Australia, a lot of it's free to air, but there's a debate there about certain games now not being free to air. And I think that they're seeing, you know, they're, they're concerned about that. You know, I, I think you're absolutely right. Accessibility of the game is what's vital, you know, frankly, keeps me in a job. Um, but, it, but it also, you know, it's, it's what I love. I love the game and I want as many people to, to enjoy the, the game that I love. And, and if you can't see it, then you can't, you can't really get into it. So, yeah, it is important that as much of it is there to, to watch as possible. I mean, these days, you're right, there are other ways of consuming it, not live on the BBC or whatever. You know, you've got clips now on BBC Sport website, and that's a really good way of doing it. But you're right, sitting down, enjoying the drama of a match, that's really how you get into it. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us and for giving up your time. Uh, have a, a lovely rest of the day. And um, yeah, all, all the best going forward. Thank you, Adam. Well, Michael, it's always great to, to talk to alumni on uh, on uh, Raw or W963. I'm really glad that you've continued broadcasting. And, it, and it's great, you know, that, you know, people talk about university radio, but I, I was at the university the same sort of time as Stephen Merchant, who went on and did some great stuff. Dave Lamb, who was part of the cheese shop, and now is the sort of voices of Celebrity Dine With Me and those sort of programmes. Uh, Simon May, I had the chance to work with. He came from... W963 as well. And of course, the most famous, as you two will know, is Timmy Mallet, who uh, started at W963, the Radio Warwick. I'm not quite sure I'll, I'll get a chance to work with him in cricket, but who knows? I was always a Mallet's Mallet fan growing up on TVAM, so I was able to be into that. But look, I'm really glad you guys are still doing um, the cricket uh, podcast, and it's been a real pleasure to be on it. And I wish you all the best with, with the programmes to come. Well, I'll tell you what, Rob, he said he had a lucky break, but he clearly had to work bloody hard for everything he got. Like, you know, waking up at the crack of dawn in your final week of university, that is a real sacrifice. Now, got the dream job. For sure. I, I, I did find it very funny that when he said a lucky break, literally, I still, even though he kind of he was hinting at it with the fact the lab went skiing, it still caught me on the hop when he said that he had broken his leg. Uh, and that was kind of how it all, all began. But yeah, and I, I think the thing I enjoyed most is that the story of him in, in Dan Buller putting together all, all the kit to get something broadcast out there as a producer, particularly overseas, there's so much responsibility on, on the technical side of things that they sometimes forget. And so uh, I, I particularly enjoyed, I enjoyed that little, little anecdote. And I'm, one of my favourite cricketing books, this might seem completely unrelated, but I've, I've bored your ear off about this book quite a few times, is um, this book called Fibber in the Heat by Miles Jupp, the British comedian who pretended to be a sports journalist for a tour of India. And um, he basically was on the tour and he was trying to make friends with the media people. And a lot of people were quite suspicious of him because he was a newcomer. Rightly suspicious, it turns out. But the Test Match special lot were incredibly kind, incredibly welcoming, 
he really became part of their crew went to, he went for dinner with them and they just seemed like a really decent bunch from his book and a bunch of people that were incredibly committed to what they did a bit like his story you know it was it was they were on this tour in india and their the place they were meant to be broadcasting from didn't work and they had to take all their gear to another bit of the ground but they get it done and from listening to adam talk that all of those feelings i'd got from that book were just reinforced and um i really hope we might be able to uh, try and like pester him when we're on our tour of australia next year we'll see if we could try and meet a couple of them because that'd be the absolute dream one well, end up on view on the boundary Host of Hit for Six, Michael Kinnison and Rob Starman tell their their story about their, their love affair with cricket. That would be the dream. Uh, but anyway, who who knows what the future holds? But it was it was great to hear hear from him, and I, I hope everyone enjoyed it.